This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. Welcome, everyone, to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however, you listen in through your favorite podcast gimmicks, be it Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so much more. We got a lot to get to on the podcast. So let's waste a little time and get to probably the biggest thing that happened in pro wrestling over the last several days. And that is the release of Bray Wyatt. I sat there amazed on Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon after I got done with Under the Dome with CD. Was just about to shut it down for the night. All of a sudden, Bray Wyatt's name pops up on the Twitter from Sean Ross Sapp. He was kind of the first one to drop this breaking news. And I sat there for about a good five minutes and was flabbergasted at the news that came out with Bray Wyatt being released from the WWE. Now, he hadn't been part of the company for a while in terms of actually being on screen since WrestleMania 37. It makes some sense in terms of, hey, you know, we don't have anything for you in the release. But even then, you're sitting there like you just basically gave away your single best, like, creative mind to the other company. Because you know... That if there's one guy AEW would love to have in terms of a significant role with the company, it's going to be Bray Wyatt or Wyndham Rotunda or whatever they're going to call him going forward. Because he can't be called The Fiend, can't be called Bray Wyatt for a reason. His copyright laws. Now you just wonder, what the hell is WWE doing? We talked about it a while back when they made the massive releases last year and all the way back post-WrestleMania that included Samoa Joe, who since went back to the WWE. But it's wild to think that this is the way the world wrestling entertainment wants to be. Now, I think a lot of this has to do with Nick Khan kind of cleaning up the mess that, you know, Vince McMahon put himself in. Because you go back to 2019, you go back to whenever AEW was getting started, and Vince McMahon can say all day till he's blue in the face, which probably doesn't take much for him these days, is that he is doesn't see AEW as competition. He can say that all day long. I don't believe him. Not one bit. And I give you the exact reason why I think that in my mind. It's the fact that you go back to 2019. He tried locking down guys like Anderson and Gallows. He tried locking down all these big names that definitely wanted out and would have been a big benefit to AEW or Impact or any other promotion they were going to be a part of. He had those those guys locked down to massive deals to make sure they didn't go to AEW. It was almost called, and he, and he locked them down to deals that had big money involved in them. So I can justify saying that I think Vince McMahon can say he doesn't believe AEW's competition, but it is. He knows they're a direct competitor, but he's still doing this. Now, with all the people that with the conspiracy theories that, oh, WWE is doing this so AEW goes bankrupt because they'll keep snatching up all these guys. I don't necessarily think that's the case. They've only snatched up a handful of guys that were part of WWE in the last couple of years. Case in point, John Moxley, Chris Jericho, obviously, at launch. You have Chris Jericho, John Moxley, Anderson Gallows. They're more of an impact New Japan, so you're not really having to pay them top-level money because they're already getting deals all over the place. You're not going to pay them top draw. 
And you obviously have guys like a Christian Cage, Big Show, Mark Henry. They were more on Legends contracts at that point. So they don't necessarily mean all that much in the grand scheme of things. They weren't necessarily like that big of a deal. Andrade, yes, you could say you definitely kind of take that with you. Sting. But I feel like at the end of the day, those names, those former WWE names, you're not paying them like the Cody Rhodes or Jericho deal. You're not paying all those guys that deal. No, you're paying them relative to what you're going to wind up getting out of them. Obviously, there's guys like Daniel Bryan and CM Punk that will be getting big money deals, but you can't give it to everybody. Malachi Black's another prime example of that. You're not going to wind up giving him the amount of money he was getting paid by WWE. And again, it's that's something that makes me think that's why Nick Khan's there, to take a lot of those big money deals off the books and keep things afloat and make the profits look even better. And I'm not talking about the street profits. I'm talking about the actual honest-to-God profits. And you look at the conference call they had for the second quarter the other day. That's exactly what happened. They had really good numbers, all things considered, and the Peacock numbers look great in the second quarter. Now, if that remains to be seen post-SummerSlam, is anybody's guess. I know there's a lot of people that probably are considering canceling it because then they won't get that flat rate of $4.99 a month or whatever it was. I think it was even cheaper than that. They basically were paying less than $9.99 a month for Peacock, and it was like the highest level. Now it's going to be like 10 bucks a month, or if you drop down, it's $5.99 a month for it unless it's attached to your cable provider like it is for your guy here. So I don't have to worry about paying extra for Peacock and dealing with the ads. Because here's the thing. I can live with the ads, and, and their system is very kind of weird. I don't know if you ever used your PC to watch old programming. They say to remove your ad blocker, but don't like, they don't do anything to stop you from using your ad blocker. So that's a little life hack for you. But for me, I think the fact that you have this situation going on, it's a head scratcher. Because you just got rid of one of your best creative minds. And I was very much blown away that Bray Wyatt and I'm sitting here in the studio and I'm like I want to see this become more of a thing I want to see more of Bray Wyatt's creativity shining through now what happens with that is anybody's guess because obviously he could very well go up full 180 and just be the old you know the original Bray Wyatt version rather than you know what we've seen over the last couple of years with the fiend and how they've had up and down booking with him. I'm hoping that if AEW does sign him, they don't do what everybody wants him and them to do. And that's have Bray be the leader of the dark order. If anything, Bray needs to just have his own stable entirely. If he, they're going to have him do that, have him have his own cult. Cause I think if you take him away, if you put him in the dark order and just kind of, metal that up all up because he already built enough like goodwill with the whole Brody Lee storyline and obviously his passing has turned them into forever baby faces you cannot have them turn heel again or at least not anytime soon but I was I was blown away because Bray absolutely feels like he's going to be a genius in terms of your creativity your promo work he could very well be a guy that helps out a lot of the younger guys as well, establish their characters, and that could be something massive for AEW because they have a lot of names, but not a whole lot of them have that like it factor, that charisma. Obviously, guys like MJF and John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, they all have that 
it factor and they have the ability to cut a good promo. But there's some where you don't necessarily get to see a whole lot of their character. Guys like the Varsity Blondes, that those two come to mind because I think like they're going to be guys that are going to be top level stars, be it in tag teams or in singles in the not too distant future. So I think this is going to be a great thing if he goes to AEW. Nowhere near confirmed. But what else I'm interested in is obviously Ric Flair and Adam Cole are apparently two names that can be free agents. Obviously, Ric Flair just got released. Does he go to AEW or does he kind of just take his time and do nothing really? Because he feels like he can just sit back and relax and enjoy himself and then maybe go back to the WWE down the road. Because, it's again, he's on a Legends contract. doesn't really matter all that much. He can go back and make money. Because after all, I mean, he got JR fired. Don't forget about that. He got JR fired because he was stupid and got drunk at the 2K show. So he's got pretty much carte blanche to do whatever he wants. So I'm intrigued by that. But what else I'm intrigued by is Adam Cole, because apparently his contract is running out. He's going to kind of wrap up his time in NXT and then move on. He's apparently turned down several different contract offers from some of the rumors and some of the guys in the dirt sheets like a Sean Ross Sapp. And I, again, I try to look at everybody's in terms of the big, like, dirt sheet guys like Sean Ross Sapp, like Dave Meltzer, Raj Geary to a certain extent. I look at more Sean Ross and Dave Meltzer because they're your two guys that have spent time being more of the big J journalist and know, oh, hey, the ins and outs and handle themselves in a certain way. Sean Ross Sapp, definitely I'm following him a lot more lately, thanks in large part to Discord, and they're kind of just tweeting everything out that he puts out. And it's justified. It's not like ringside news where there's just complete jabronis. But if Adam Cole is a free agent after SummerSlam, I don't see any reason why you don't try and get him if you're AEW. Because AEW, with all due respect, has largely been a company that has been built on the back of PWG, which just had their first show back in over two years. Mystery Vortex, which I said on Twitter, and I think everybody kind of agreed with me. It's the original Forbidden Door because anything can happen. That's what, kind of what we got with the main event with Alistair Black, Tommy Yen, Malachi Black, whatever you want to call him. He showed up in the main event, and that was really cool. And Adam Cole has been such a big name in PWG. I'm almost certain AEW will be the first person that calls up and says, hey, come on over. We're going to pay you X amount of dollars over a course of X amount of years, and we want you to be one of the next big stars in all elite wrestling. And he's like, okay, I'd probably be willing to do it. And also probably start try, trying to strike up that partnership with ring of honor. Cause I think that's the biggest thing that's holding AEW back from being just pretty much full blown indie rific. Cause you don't tell me you wouldn't want to see Jonathan Gresham on an episode of dynamite. Don't tell me you wouldn't want to see Matt Taven, you know, Hey, seriously, Vincent in the Cult of Wyndham would be an amazing thing to happen. So I, I'm just absolutely intrigued by the fact that potentially Adam Cole could be out of NXT, not go to the main roster, and could wind up in AEW with his girlfriend, Britt Baker. That would be really freaking awesome. And I think everybody in the world of professional wrestling would absolutely love it.
Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Let me get to what I liked and what I hated from pro wrestling in the last week. And we'll start off with what I liked. And this is something I absolutely loved. And that's the fact that MGF's like labors of Jericho, they continue to be some of the best theater I've seen from WWE in a long, long time. First off, you have the first labor, which was pretty standard with Sean Spears. And again, it makes sense with what uh, Sean Spears and somebody brought this up on Twitter or Reddit. I can't remember which, but Sean Spears has to do with his Canada roots. And that was a great little, little Easter egg there that somebody brought up. Now you have Nick Gage kind of maybe being more reminiscent of his ECW days, his brief run over there with the death match, which by the way, was way more awesome than I ever expected it to be because you have literally, I went in there with no expectations that we we're going to get see eight true death matches. It's going to be a hardcore match in the modern TV style. No, we got light tubes. We got glass. We got pizza cutter. I was like, what the hell is going on? This is not what I expected. And I sat there like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. AEW knocked it out of the park with this angle. And they've knocked it out of the park, letting these guys just be. I loved it. And it was so cool. And then you end it off. You end the show with the announcement that Juventud Guerrera is going to make his debut in AEW against Jericho, calling back to WCW, calling back to an angle or a promo that MJF and Jericho had two years ago. This speaks to something that I continue to appreciate about what AEW brings to the table. It's long-term storytelling. It's callbacks. It's these little things that matter so much more to me than probably a lot of different people who are out there watching pro wrestling. Now, I've talked about it a lot. One of my favorite things about the Randy Orton CM Punk angle from 2011 was the fact that they called back to their first feud in 2008. They they went back to that. It's something because again, if you have certain characters that have crossed paths in the past, you got to take advantage of that opportunity to bring it back up. Because wrestling fans are invested in storylines. And if you have something that was brought up two years ago and you want to bring it back up in terms of a storyline, in terms of furthering an angle, do it. By all means, do it because it's going to mean that much more. And I love that kind of stuff. It's something I feel like is absolutely huge. And it's something that AEW does probably a lot better than any other promotion that I can remember. Obviously, I bring up Bray Wyatt earlier. Bray Wyatt did a great job with that more with his Fiend gimmick than anything else because he went after people that wronged him in the past, Finn Balor, Cena. Like, the list goes on and on of all the people that he had to deal with before his inevitable release. Obviously, Randy Orton as well is another one. There's a lot of stuff. There was a lot of layers to that. It's calling back to old storylines. If I got more of that in wrestling, I would absolutely love it because it's something that, that it's that moment that pops for you as a fan. Is if you've watched every show and you get to hear these little slight references to something that happened maybe 10 years ago, it absolutely will make you like, oh, hey, I remember that. I was, I remember seeing that. It's something really cool. Now let's get to the thing I hated this week. And I think it's the fact that you have Finn Balor. He came out and called out Roman Reigns and wanted to get a title shot at SummerSlam. But you decided to muddle it up a little bit with the fact that now Finn Balor, the swerve is, he isn't in there. 
He gets taken out by Baron Corbin, who gets taken out by Cena. So now it's going to be Cena, Reigns, and SummerSlam. And it makes Finn Bauer look a little bit like a geek, but I think more importantly, it makes this whole thing muddled. And I'm like, you couldn't have just straight up went ahead and just had an open challenge. Roman Reigns comes out and says he, and you have Cena come out, cut another promo, and you set up the match right then and there. But they went a little bit different, different direction to leave people on a cliffhanger that really wasn't a cliffhanger, if we're being honest. And that's how they are resolving this, where it's now it's going to be Cena Reigns. It was a weird setup for what we all knew was coming. Like It would have been great to see Balor Reigns be a match on SmackDown, just as a, like a, a red herring. And then Cena calls him out again, and then we get to see the match happen. But now we don't even get to see Finn Balor Roman Reigns, which was a really great promo by him calling out Finn Balor saying he's going to smash him so bad, he's going to send him back to NXT which was a great line I popped for. But that was something I hated, but it's not as much hate as some of the stuff that I've seen with, you know, AEW and everything in between and other things like Monday Night Raw, for instance. Chris, uh, Karrion Cross continues to be just like a head shaker, a head scratcher. And we'll talk about that probably more down the road because, boy, oh, boy, some of the rumors about that, I am not a fan of. But what I also what I liked in WWE this week was Sasha Banks and her return to the company. She had been gone for a while, came back, and really had that moment she had against Natalia a few years ago after the whole you know WrestleMania 35 aftermath. She shows up out of nowhere. She comes back, and she is absolutely like white hot and becomes a heel. Now we get to see Sasha Banks, Bianca Belair, face versus heel at SummerSlam. We get to see this match run back. And it's not like other matches on, again, this is something I complain about a lot in terms of mainstream wrestling on WWE programming. We see the same matches over and over again. Last night on Raw, we saw Morrison and Damian Priest in a one-on-one match. Then we saw a tag team match with Sheamus and John Morrison against, you guess it, Damian Priest and Ricochet. We've seen these matches before, and it's just you're running it back, and it's very much lazy booking. But it's the fact they do this over and over and over again. Roman Reigns talks about missionary position, which is, to be honest, it's really good. Mind you, it's always good to have a little bit of variety, but if it's every single night, yes, I can get it. It's kind of boring. Case in point, WWE booking, where it's almost the same match every single week, and it's on a loop, doesn't really matter to me. But Sasha Banks returning was such a cool angle, and now you get to see this thing go forward and hopefully you get to see a big angle, big match between these two because they absolutely tore it up on night one of WrestleMania, the main event of that show, and they killed it. It was one of my favorite matches of the entire weekend. That's saying something because they had like about a 50 billion matches, and I'm hopeful we get the same thing at SummerSlam. And again, I'll say this is something I hated because it's pretty much laying it on way too thick. It's a case of I hate it, but I don't necessarily like despise it like I think everything else that I've talked about in the past on the light hated from wrestling this week. It's AW laying it on way too thick that CM Punk is debuting at Rampage in a few weeks. I get why they're doing it because you're building towards that big show at United Center. They've already sold out the entire arena. So I understand completely where they're coming from in terms of piecing it together, booking the show, and having it all come together. What I don't like is the fact that they have like just mucked it all up and we got AEW 
kind of pushing this thing as hard as they can. And it's potentially almost solely to pop rating and to overshadow SummerSlam weekend, which, mind you, smart idea in terms of marketing, smart move in terms of trying to get people to watch a program that honestly, at 9 o'clock at night, and you look at AEW when they had those Friday Night Dynamites, nobody was really watching them because they were on at 9 o'clock at freaking night. If you have it at 9 o'clock at night, you got to. You have to give people reason on Friday night at 9 p.m. to be at home or at a bar where TNT is on. Because I guarantee you, it's going to be tough to find a television with TNT on at 9 o'clock at night anywhere unless you're already at home. I, it's going to be tough. But I think this is a step in the right direction. But you can't just necessarily blow your wad every single time. I'm hoping we can see more of CM Punk. Outside of this rampage, maybe it builds up towards all out. I don't know, but I'm intrigued to see how it goes. And if we see Darby Allen, CM Punk, the first match, sign me and the rest of America up, that would be pretty badass. Because I think those two would put on a really solid, probably three and a half to four star match. And that's all you're asking for right now. Am I right? All right, welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, one of three seven games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. I want to talk more about AEW Dynamite. And I brought up CM Punk just a second ago, and I have nothing but respect for CM Punk. I've been a fan of his for years. I talked about it on last week's pod. But what I hate, and I, I, I just have to kind of make it a whole segment about, is the fact that Hangman Page had a golden opportunity to win it all out. That's pretty much the WrestleMania. It's their Starcade, it's their Bound for Glory, it's their Super Bowl. All Out was how this whole thing began. Technically, it was all in, but All Out is the show where you have to have your biggest payoff of the year, at least in my mind. And this was a really big opportunity for Hangman Page on Wednesday night on Dynamite to have that opportunity to vie for the AEW title, but he lost in the 10-man tag. It made perfect sense why all that stuff happened and why he lost the way he did when he lost to, you know, Kenny Omega and the one-winged angel. It makes sense. But it made me sit there. I was like, they really just jobbed him out like that. And it's like, what do we do now? I think now the match with Kenny at All Out, that's off the table completely. And according to the reports, that's kind of what it is. And now... Again, there's some understanding to it because you're going to have, you know, CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, whatever. They're going to be a big part of this, I feel like. They're going to be, there's going to be something involving those two showing up to where it's going to overshadow the main event. And you have this big crowning moment. But at the end of the day, now you're pushing back an angle that's been going on for almost a year and you're trying to make it a one-year anniversary thing at full gear. I just don't like it because you've already been pushing this off. You've already been putting it off for months and now you've got to add another chapter to the story when honestly the chapters, the end of the story should already be coming. And now I'm wondering, what do they do after this? What direction do they go with Adam Page? Do they have him kind of drifting away from the Dark Order and going away for a while and then coming back and vying for that opportunity again? 
and trying to get back into the top five, or is he putting his career on the line to get a title shot like we've seen in the past with full gear, or if he doesn't win, he'll never contend for the title again, which is pretty much, if they go the route of Cody Rhodes, I am going to be so furious when he doesn't win. Something like that. There needs to be a way to write this whole thing out, and I'm not a fan of them moving forward with Adam Page not winning the AEW title at All Out. Now you're kind of left with two situations. One, you're going either Darby Allen or Christian Cage. I feel like Christian Cage is the inevitable end game here because the way they've teased it in recent weeks on Dynamite, Darby Allen definitely has a strong case to be a number one contender because he's been racking him up. But I feel like they're going to go in the direction of Darby Allen, Christian Cage, number one contenders match in the next couple of weeks. And yeah, they could do it on the first ever episode of Rampage, I think. That'll be next Wednesday, next Friday, I should say, on the 13th, which I was like, there's no way that's that quickly. But then I'm like, yeah, it is because this Friday is the 6th and, the th- and plus 7, that's 13. My brain just didn't think about it. It feels like time flies by a little bit too fast these days. Maybe it's just getting older and things just not necessarily going at the pace you remember it back in the day. Because I can remember some semesters would go by quicker than others. Like spring semesters would take forever. Back when I was in college, it like from January to May. Meanwhile, fall semesters are like August to December. But somehow, the spring semester took forever to reach the end of the road in college. I don't know why, but that's just kind of how it was. Overall, I just don't understand entirely the reasoning behind moving forward with getting Adam Page out of the title picture for now just because you want to kind of keep him away and not lessen the impact of his major win. I don't think it was going to lessen the impact or anything. I think they're basically trying to make it to where it's all about Adam Page, which is perfectly justifiable, but it's like you you pretty much were setting yourself up for failure. You could have done this, and then you have Adam Page come out next week on Dynamite and put and do the whole title versus career thing. There is a way you can work an angle, and I guarantee you, you could have put it together. But again, what do I know? I'm just a guy that talks for about 20 to 30 minutes a week about pro wrestling, and I write about it a little bit more on the Cajun Strong Style podcast Twitter account, which you can follow us on there. And a little heads up before we wrap up the pod, we've also got a Facebook. You can search at Cajun Strong Style on there and on Twitter at Cajun Strong Pod. I have a challenge. We did this in the lead-up to WrestleMania, and we're going to do it again, and I want to hit 200 followers by the time we get to SummerSlam weekend in about three weeks' time. I want to hit that number, and I'm hoping you let me get to that number. Hit me up to 200 followers. Hell, 100 on Facebook would be great, too. Just go ahead and search Cajun Strong Style on Facebook and Twitter. The at is Cajun Strong Pod because Cajun Strong Style doesn't fit in an entire name. Thanks a lot, Twitter. Also need an edit button, Twitter, so get it together. For me, I want to see this brand continue to grow. So tell your friends, tell your wrestling fan friends to go check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Type in Cajun Strong Style. You should be able to find it. And also tell them to subscribe to the podcast as well. And let them tell a friend. Write a five-star review. Well, mention it on air. I'm telling you. There's so many different ways you can contribute 
and make sure you spread the word. We talk about going viral and all these different things. We want this thing to spread like wildfire because I think this podcast has been great. But I want more ears, especially as we're approaching SummerSlam. We're going to be talking about SummerSlam. And if you hit the 200, I'm going to do a bonus episode. And not just any bonus episode. I'm going to do a bonus episode talking about my top 10 favorite wrestlers of all time. It's a it's a tried and true segment for any podcast or any YouTube channel involving wrestling. It is your top 10. I don't do top 10s often. But I will give you a top 10 bonus episode of my top 10 favorite wrestlers of all time and why if we hit the 200 follower mark on Twitter. Once again, follow us on Twitter today at Cajun Strong Pod. That's C-A-J-U-N Strong, S-T-R-O-N-G Pod, P-O-D, on Twitter. Go check us out while you're there. And also, appreciate you listening into the podcast. We'll talk to you down the road and appreciate you. And if you haven't subbed already, go ahead and subscribe to us however you, you get your podcast out podcast google podcast spotify and so much more until next time enjoy the wrestling and good night